Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by world football identity Phil Kittromelides to look at the opening weekend of the Premier League and La Liga season. The performers and strugglers and if any of our preseason mindsets have changed. I'm Mark Schwarzer, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Joining me, Mark Schwarzer, this week, and each week is Phil Kitromelides, a man whose name I have spent the last seven days, I kid you not, practicing to the point where people actually think I am Phil Kitromelides. Hi, Phil. <laughs> Hi, how are you going? Yeah, good, good, good. That's, that's what you've done to me, Phil. You've made me f- practice your name so often that, I, honestly, I sleep. The first thing I wake up and think of when I wake up is your name. Um, that is um, slightly worrying, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. That is the dedication to the cause of the uh, Optusport football podcast that you've um, been practicing my name so much. You've got it now anyway, so no need to practice anymore. I certainly did nail it my first ago. That's no retake. That was one, <laughs> one go, one take, wonder. Um, anyway, before we get on to the top Premier League stories, I think we need to revisit our last week's pre-season uh, predictions what do you think yeah I'm, I'm not surprised that you're so keen to revisit these predictions at the top of the podcast you know forget forget Chelsea Liverpool forget Ange Postecoglou's first game it's we've got to revisit our predictions from last week so all right okay let's do it now that you brought it up Phil I'm gonna let's talk about the chopping block first person uh, first manager we felt that was going to be on the chopping block yes you're right I did say Julian Lapateki <laughs> there were a lot of rumors about Wolves about all the ongoings off the field and that he wasn't happy about um possibility of dealing in the transfer market can i just say that i know you're very sort of pleased with yourself that you predicted this and and you did but technically technically he left before the season started so actually technically you didn't you didn't get that right so but no but i did actually say that in that podcast i think you haven't listened back that's the problem (laughs) i actually said that he would leave before the season actually began did you actually say that oh my god well then you're a genius yeah okay absolutely i mean the other other one for me is burnley top half obviously lost their first game of the season three nil and convincingly however i'm still going to stick with it because it was manchester city there was it was manchester city and there was there was stuff there from burnley that was actually quite quite promising and certainly the um the the spirit uh, that they showed when they conceded uh, relatively early on I, I thought there was there was stuff there to build on and i think uh, vincent company won't be too uh, disillusioned so all right okay yeah two two pretty good predictions so far from you um in stark contrast to mine mark which i'm sure you're going to mention well, no, come on. Let, why are on it? You're on a roll. Let's go. So I might have suggested that Aston Villa would push for top four and they were absolutely spanked 5-1 by, uh, by Newcastle. I mean, listen, Newcastle are a very good team. They spent a lot of money. Um, there were things in that Aston... There were times in that game that Aston Villa didn't look terrible um, and, you know, uh, but they were completely, completely blown away by a really, really intense... Newcastle side and, and Eddie Howe as the 
mentioning dreaming of, of challenging for the title so um, uh, yeah okay my, uh, my, my, my prediction of top four looks silly at the moment Mark but obviously you can't judge anything after one week surely not normally no but you know <laughs> and I agree with you I actually agree though Aston Villa did look good in parts and yeah. the 5-1 I thought flattered Newcastle a little bit they did take their chances um, but you know what I, I agree I think I still think Aston Villa are a good shout for, for going quite close this season even yeah. though it was a proper kick in the teeth yeah um, I also mentioned that Brentford would uh, potentially struggle there could be an outside bet for uh, for relegation and uh, they didn't necessarily struggle that much against uh, Spurs they didn't struggle for for goals they scored twice and I, th- I said they were going to miss Ivan Tony a lot and obviously with uh, with Seren Mbamo scoring that also looks a, a little bit silly as well so two two predictions at the start of the season that's why we make these predictions right you even said it on the podcast we're doing this to make you all look silly at the end of the season so didn't even have to wait till the end of the season Hundred percent. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the thing is about Brentford. Also, they let us into a bit of false sense of security because they had a pretty average preseason. Right. Uh, but they they look pretty good. Let's move on to that. By the way, um, I think Ange Postecoglou's first game in charge. That's the biggest game of the weekend, certainly from Australia's listeners. Brentford against. Tottenham Hotspurs, and it was always going to be a tough, tough first-off encounter because we know how good Brentford have been at home these last couple of seasons. Um, what did you make of the game? I thought it was promising from Spurs, and I know that possibly feels feels silly, but it's what Spurs fans wanted. They, this is the kind of game that they wanted. This is the kind of football that they wanted. They, they, they just wanted some excitement and some hope, and obviously it comes after losing possibly your best player in, in history with Harry Kane leaving the, the, the day before. So the context is, is very, very difficult, but I think most Spurs fans came away from watching that game thinking, you know what? They gave, they gave it a go. They played some good football in parts. They actually wanted to try they wanted to try and get the ball forward and create stuff in the final third, which is a pretty stark contrast to large swathes of last season. So there were things there to build on. I said on the podcast last week that I think Ange Postecoglou is, is possibly the best thing that Spurs have got going for them at the moment. He's the ray of hope. He is what is giving the fans something to, uh, to cling on to. And even more now with Harry Kane leaving. So the fact we've got this manager who is A, very, very likeable and B, wants to play um, a brand of football that has always kind of been the Tottenham way. You know, I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s as a Spurs season ticket holder, watching Spurs sort of gloriously fail, but they failed, in a, in, like I said, in a glorious way. So you go out, the game is about glory, you take the game to the opponent, and you might lose, and you certainly might concede goals, but you've gone there and you've given it a go and, and, and you've played some decent stuff. And I thought we saw glimpses of that against, against Brentford. So overall, OK, it's only a point. But within the whole context of, of where Spurs have come from, actually, um, I think rarely, most Spurs fans are pretty happy with it. Yeah, I think if you go, eight months, go back eight months and they, they drew 2-2 at Brentford. Um, but it was a very, very different yeah. performance, right? So this, this was very contrasting. I mean, talk about 60-odd percent possession. There were four players making their debut for Spurs. Um, and like you mentioned, a very different Spurs without Harry Kane. Richarlison being that number nine. Um, I, I thought, you know, I thought Madison was good, was very good in, in that sort of that number 10 role. And I also like midfield, even though Skip hasn't really been given a lot of opportunities in the past. I think him and Basuma look pretty good in midfield. It's, it feels like it's a new dawn, doesn't it, for, for Spurs? And I, I don't know if this is actually... OK, Harry Kane leaving is obviously terrible for Spurs, one of the best players of all time, scorer of an unbelievable amount of goals that's going to be almost impossible to replace. But the fact that he's leaving has given... I think he's maybe bought some time for 
Um, and in terms of the fans, they realise now the expectations are lower. They are lower now. They're lower. They're not necessarily, we've got to push for top four. Let's see if we can push for top three. Let's see if we can mount a title challenge, which maybe in the last couple of years could have been the thinking. <laughs> it's, let's see what we can do with this, with this new bunch of players. And the, the back four was new. The goalkeeper was new. Uh, midfield, slightly different look to it. So it is a new start, but that might buy Ange a bit more um, time. And certainly his... Like I said, his philosophy, his approach and the way he holds himself is certainly been taken to by Spurs fans who were singing his name after 11 minutes, Mark. They were singing his name, which is a, which is a good sign. Well, I think he got off the right foot right from the beginning, right? They came out. They, they went to the fans before kickoff. They did their huddle in front of their, mm. their own supporters. I think he's, he's you know, very much wanting to engage again with the fans, bring the fans on side. We all know what it's like, right? At a, at a football club. You know, the way that football is these days, people lose their patience really quickly. Fans can be very, very fickle, but he's trying to embrace them. He's mm. trying to get them on board from day one, from the first go. And I think they've done that. I think they've excited Spurs fan. You're a Spurs fan. Are you excited to see Spurs play now? Uh, I mean, listen, the, 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 the loss of Harry Kane is a big blow. It's a huge, huge blow. And I don't think, you know, you can underestimate that. But yeah. I'm much more excited. Does that sound weird? It maybe does sound weird, doesn't it? I'm much more excited to see them play now than last year when they had Harry Kane. That is perhaps, perhaps doesn't make a lot of sense, but not a lot of things being a Spurs fan makes sense. So that's all they wanted was a bit of, a bit of hope, a bit of, um, a bit of excitement. And there's been very little excitement. All right. They've been coming back last season. There was a spell where they were coming back and, and, and conceding the first game and clawing results from, from losing situations. That game against Brentford being an example last season when it was 2-2 and they were 2-0 down. But that, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a tough watch. For, for a lot of the last season, it was a tough watch. And I feel like there's good, there are deficiencies in this Spurs side. Defensively, there's still a lot of problem. It's a back four, but, you know, Emerson Royal's still there. So there's, st there's still going to be problems there. But I, I, I think there's, um, there's, there's stuff to get excited about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Emerson Royal there because, actually, I thought that was one of his better performances. He scored a great goal from the edge of the box, hit it first time. Yeah. Um, yeah defensively deficient, but, I mean, I think what, obviously, if you look at Spurs, 60-odd percent possession, mm. so they're going to have a lot of the ball mm. for most of the, most of the games this season. We know Ange plays that way. So there's two things I want to touch on, really. Obviously, Harry Kane's gone. Richarlison playing is at number nine. What were your th first impressions? My first impressions were, okay, you know, no... <laughs> Who else is going to do it, really? You've got a number nine there. You've got a big Brazilian number nine who has started for Brazil in the past. We know he can score goals, but last season he only scored one. So this is your chance. Go out. But my feeling is also that they have to go out and get someone else. Like It can't just be uh, Richarlison to lead the line for Spurs uh, this season. But he seemed the obvious starter uh, against, uh, against Brentford, given that Harry Kane had, had just left. He's not Harry Kane. Very few people in the world uh, are. He's not going to be able to link up like um, like Harry Kane did. But you know, he, he, under difficult circumstances, he came in and 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 did all right. And um, yeah, I was quite excited about James Madison as well. And we had Kelly Summers on the podcast last week speaking about uh, new signings and the fact that James Madison's moved to Spurs and he didn't necessarily feel like a new signing because he's not a new player coming from a different division. We've seen him play so many times that he didn't necessarily feel sort of new. But he is a new signing for Spurs, and, and, and you mentioned his two assists. And wearing the number 10 shirt of Harry Kane as well, I thought he got on uh, pretty well, and there's more to come from him too. Uh, the, other per the other thing I want to mention, Son. Um, 
we haven't seen the best of Son over the last probably 12 months or so, but you look at that 11 that started, he's the most experienced Tottenham player. So were you surprised he's captain? And are you on board with him being captain of Tottenham this season? Yeah, fully on board with him being uh, captain. I've got a, a really soft spot for uh, for Son. And uh, the most experienced Tottenham player, yes. The most charismatic Tottenham player, well, maybe in his own way. Maybe overtly he isn't someone who, um, who, who screams and shouts and maybe rallies the troops in a way that you might want your captain to do. But I think it's also maybe a sign to him as well. You're the captain, Sonny. Go out, lead, show us what you can do. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he can do. I actually, too, I'm loving it. I'm loving seeing Son as captain because I think he is brilliant. I think he's a great guy as well. I've met him a number of times, spoken to him, and I'm excited to see him. And I think Ange is the perfect yes. perfect recipe for him. I think he's going to bring the best out of him this season. He's going to take that added responsibility, but I think he'll get the best out of him. So what you're saying to me, Mark, is basically I have to watch Spurs every week for the podcast. That's work. Like, I have to watch them. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to make you do that. Yeah, I can do I that. Mean, I know you're a Spurs fan, but... <laughs> I'm sorry I'm going to have to burn you with that. That's fine. We can do that. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> you mentioned it before about uh, revisiting. We talked about revisiting our predictions pre, you know, pre the start of the season, which is obviously only a week ago. And you mentioned Aston Villa, but Newcastle, top of the table, resounding victory. Um, we kind of like, I think we both talked about, we felt that Newcastle were going to be up there, there or thereabouts at the end of the season anyway. They're in Champions League this season. But the scoreline did surprise you, right? The scoreline, you said, flattered them a little bit, which, yes, because in parts Aston Villa were, uh, were decent in the game. But oof, those first 30 minutes, I mean, they just came flying out of the blocks and the, the intensity with which they played, they kind of steamrolled uh, Villa. And St. James's Park, when the team's playing like that, with the fans behind them, with a number of really good players, and they've already very much taken to Sandro Tonali. Everybody was cooing over his performance, people in the UK calling it, pundits in the UK calling it one of the best midfield debuts of all time in the Premier League. It was a big performance from him. They've added him to the mix, uh, which just seems to ramp up uh, everything that's uh, the, the noise and the volume around this team. And I don't necessarily mean the literal volume, I mean just the way that they come at you. It's, um, it was quite breathtaking to watch, almost literally, almost like you had to take a breath while watching this game because it was uh, so full on. And uh, yeah, they're going to be there, man. They're going to be there. They're going to be there for top four, obviously. I think, I think we knew that and my slightly outrageous prediction of uh, Aston Villa pushing for top four. To be fair, I said there might be there or thereabouts with a few games to go pushing for top four. I think Newcastle, they'll want to push on now. They made top four last season. They'll want to push on. They're looking ahead. And Eddie Howe saying we're allowed to dream. I think that's quite a telling thing to say after the first game. They've got Manchester City next weekend as well, which is going to be uh, really interesting to see. So yeah, there's a, a massive buzz around Newcastle. There was last season. They basically picked up where they left off last season. Like Summer didn't happen for them. They just carried on. Yeah, Eddie Howe's done an amazing job um, since day one of arriving there. You mentioned there the fans. Uh, look, I don't think I don't ever remember going to a St James's Park and having a bad atmosphere. They've been they've been resentful and angry towards the ownership, but very very rarely against the players. They're unbelievable supporters of their you, team. You must have played in some tasty derbies there. I did. You know what? I really did. And I have to say, they were they were hostile, but. I, I even this is to this day. I still get a really good reception when I go back yeah, to St right? James Park. Yeah, I, yeah. I really, really do admire them. I admire the club and I admire the fans because I think they're absolutely phenomenal. A player I want to talk about is Alexander Isaac. You know, well from Spain, Real Sociedad. He was sort of stop-start season last season, mm -hmm. but he scored two goals in the opening game. 
probably a little bit disappointed he got taken off, right? He scored two. Mm-hmm. Still a bit of a time to go. Yeah, especially for those of us who had him in the Fantasy Premier League team. But, um, <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, Alex Isak, yeah, he had a stop-start season last season. He had a bit of a stop-start season in his last campaign in Spain as well. But the season before that, he scored 17 goals. And he's someone who is, like, deceptively skillful. You see this striker, and he's absolutely massive in terms of uh, height. He's a bit, you know, with all due respect, a little bit gangly. Like, he's got these long limbs. He's quite slender. You don't think that he's got the physique or you don't necessarily associate someone like that with being as skillful as he is. And he is tremendously skillful. He is, I've seen him score some unbelievable goals in Spain, generally from, from tight angles, things that you, he sort of invents goals, as they say in Spain. He invents goals out of nothing. He's got that capacity to do it. He's fast, um, and I think he's a really good finisher, and he is going to be at the heart of Newcastle's push for Champions League and beyond uh, this season scored two goals that's important as well for him I think you know he did have that stop start season last season and the one before as well with Real Sociedad wasn't necessarily his best I think he scored nine uh, but to get two in the first game really uh, sets him up nicely for the for the season and he's going to be an, an exciting player and perhaps you know pretty pretty good signing for uh, for FPL teams <laughs> we'll get onto that a little bit later on. Right, okay, right, so you don't right. have to brag right now. You can brag a bit later on. I did actually see uh, Alexander uh, Isaac play one of I think one of his last games for Real Sociedad away in Cardiff last season. Ah. Um, and uh, look, he, he looked good, but I wasn't. I was a little bit surprised at the, the money they paid for him. But then, if you want someone and, and the club's reluctant to let him go, you're going to have to pay it. And I think he's a really good signing as well. I think there's there's a there's a big chance for him to to go on and do well. But the, the key is keeping him fit, right? So if yeah. he stays fit. Do you think he's a rival potentially to Haaland this season with a golden boot? Do you? Well, you know what? Um, I'd like to think with the chances that Newcastle hopefully will create, I want someone, I need, we need someone in the Premier League <laughs> to push Man City all the way. And if someone's going to do it, they're also going to have to have someone up top who's going to score a lot of goals for them. Maybe Newcastle's that team, right? And, and look, he's got the ability, hasn't he? I mean, I respect that you've given a, you know, a well-thought-out answer there, but I do not think that he's going to get anywhere near Erling Haaland this season. I don't think anyone's going to get anywhere near Erling Haaland this season in terms of uh, goals scored. But, you know, best of the rest, which is what potentially we were talking about last week as well, best of the rest, he certainly could be up there and, and maybe an outside bet as well, yeah. And look, he's got two, right? So he's equal top with Haaland right now. So Haaland hasn't run away with it already. Yeah, stop the count. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Let's move on to the other big fixture of the weekend. Uh, Chelsea against Liverpool. Um, a draw one all. And I read a really interesting stat. Last seven meetings between these teams now have been a draw. Yeah, and the four previous games before this one had all been nil-nil as well. So at least we got goals at the weekend. And we you know, we could have had more. There were, there were two... Um, narrowly ruled out by uh, by VAR. I thought it was an interesting game, an exciting game. I, I enjoyed it from a totally neutral perspective. Certainly, the first half was uh, was pretty chaotic, and then in the uh, in the second half, I, I enjoyed. Uh, uh, Enzo Fernandez's performance, particularly from uh, from a Chelsea perspective, I think. Oof. What a player. And the uh, <clears throat> Chelsea midfield is about to get a lot better, uh, I think. And more on that in just a second. And I also, I was watching this from a perspective of trying to see how Nicholas Jackson's getting on uh, as well in his debut. And I really liked his performance and I was very encouraged by it. And he didn't score, but I think his uh, movement was excellent. He makes different kinds of runs as well. His hold-up play is genuinely fantastic and I was uh, uh, curious to see how he would be able to do that in a more physical league like the Premier League that isn't La Liga where he's required to do that a little bit more 
And he did it really well. And I was uh, encouraged to see on social media as well, which is uh, certainly not the barometer for all things that we should judge things, but people generally seem to be pretty happy with him, uh, Chelsea fans. So I think uh, that is uh, looking potentially like a, a bit of a bargain for Chelsea. Obviously, it's just one game. He didn't score, but Nicholas Jackson did a lot of good things. And I think he's going to be a good signing for them. So the news, obviously, with Chelsea is that uh, Sanchez was in goal because we've just heard now that Kepa, um, it's been announced that he is joining Real Madrid on loan for for the whole season. Is that surprising to you that he's actually signing for Real Madrid? Uh, I think for uh, for Real Madrid, uh, leaving, losing someone like Thibaut Courtois is uh, such a catastrophic blow that they needed to to act quickly to try and get someone close to his level. And for me, Thibaut Courtois is the best goalkeeper in the world, so that's not going to be easy. But this works well for everyone, I think, bringing in Kepa for a, a, a season-long loan. Kepa was very, very keen to come to Real Madrid. He had uh, another deal uh, potentially on the cards to uh, move to another big European club. But when he heard Real Madrid were interested, uh, the... Uh, 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 that was the only deal that he was interested in. And, um, yeah, I think there have been question marks about uh, Kepa. Uh, a lot of question marks about Kepa. Certainly his time during the Premier League, it's been it's been up and down. But maybe there was a little bit of redemption last season with him playing a bit more than he had done in the previous two campaigns. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how he gets on with the enormous pressure at the Bernabeu. There is nothing quite like playing uh, in the spotlight of, uh, of, of the Spanish capital and... Um, yeah, he's got he's got a big job. Let's move on to Liverpool because Liverpool. I, look, I was impressed with Liverpool. McAllister in midfield, Slobosley. I thought you know they just basically just fit into that team seamlessly. Diaz being back was like a new signing. Um, I was really, I mean, I was impressed with the way they played. Yeah, there were there were moments again. Liverpool, you can say that you know the question marks still defensively. They do get caught out, but when you've got such an attacking minded side, you are going to leave gaps at the back, aren't you? Don't you think they need a defensive midfielder quite badly? Yeah, probably. Yeah, look, I, I, they probably do, um, and then obviously they're going to miss out on one, um, which looks looks very much like that. But uh, I, I still think they still look great going forward. Undoubtedly, and um, uh, that that yeah. But can you can you just play with those kind of vibes? I don't know. You, I think you need someone to structure it a little, a little bit a little bit more. It can't just be you know vibes going forward and leave huge gaps in the in the, in the middle of the park. Which okay, it might be entertaining, but it's it's not going to get you anywhere. Did you see Mo Salah's reaction by the way when he was um, when he was substituted? He did not look happy at all. Understandably so. He's not used to being substituted with 15 minutes to go with Liverpool needing a goal to win the game. Which I thought it was a bit strange to take him off. Yeah, it was a little bit. Um, it was it was a strange move. I was even more. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I was surprised at his reaction. I thought it was a complete overreaction. Right. Um, which is which is something that I'm sure. I don't think Jurgen Klopp could have been happy about it. No. He certainly couldn't have been happy with the response because. Um, uh, maybe it's a boil over because remember pre-season they talked just now before season start they talked about the 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 vice captains um, group and the captains and Mo Salah was left out of it initially and then all of a sudden oh no 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 Mo Salah mm-hmm. actually has been added to it so I don't know if everything's really really rosy on that side of things yeah maybe not maybe not that that reaction would suggest uh, would suggest otherwise I guess you could say that you know. Managers want players to be annoyed when they come off because they want them to play. You know, you want to want to play the whole game. So it just shows that you're committed to the cause. You want to play. You think you can contribute, but maybe not quite like that. Let's move on to Casado. Phil, what's it? I mean, firstly, the transfer fee is mind-blowing. 
Um, it was it's a British record transfer fee. Firstly, that Liverpool had agreed well, 111 million pounds, but now Chelsea superseded that because Caicedo didn't want to go to Liverpool. It's all a bit strange, isn't it? It is. Um, I think it's. Um in terms of where a player wants to play, um, maybe uh, the lure of the lure of London. Can, 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 we, can we put it in, in, in those terms? The lure of more money, probably. But uh, we, we, players are, are humans, and there are uh, things that uh, that will attract them to, to, to places more more than others. Is he worth 115 million pounds? A player is worth what a team is willing to pay for them, right? So if Chelsea think that he is worth that, then he is worth that. Uh, we don't need to get into a discussion of, of, of whether he's worth it or not, because that's what is being paid. So that is, that's, the, that's, that's, that's what he's worth. What you would pay for him is a different, uh, a different uh, perhaps a different argument. And for him to be the record uh, transfer fee for a British team is um, perhaps... Perhaps eye-catching, perhaps surprising, but put him together with Enzo and that is a midfield that will dominate games, that will create, uh, Enzo will be uh, uh, allowed even further to be the, the conductor of the orchestra for Chelsea and it's exciting, but it should be exciting when you've got the two most expensive players in the history of the, uh, of the Premier League. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a transfer that, that I don't know, uh, I, I, I I think Brighton have done extremely well, <laughs> extremely well to to get this money as they as they have done from Chelsea over the last year a lot, and um, yeah, you know it, it it should be a good signing for Chelsea. It's a it's a it's a lot of money, but if they're willing to pay it, then he's worth it. I, I loved uh, Deserby's response to it all about the news about him potentially going and the transfer fees, and he's like, well, you know. He's basically not uh, a Brighton player anymore and not really bothered about it. And it's not my problem anymore because I deal with the players I've got here. And I, it was just like, it was literally nonchalant yeah. in the way that he responded to it and moved on. Um, and of course, obviously Brighton, like you said, the transfer fee is crazy. But in Chelsea's defence, Liverpool did come in and offer a lot of money for him. But that's probably a lot down to Liverpool losing like such a core of their midfield, right? So they were kind of desperate. So how much of a blow is that for Liverpool not getting him? Uh, a huge blow. I think he would, you know, slot right into that team. And I think we, saw, we I think we saw at the, at the weekend that that they absolutely needed him. But they will just have to go again and and, and try and get someone similar. And uh, we just mentioned the uh, the bid for uh, Romeo Lavia. I think that just means that they have to get this done. They have to get that done, and they can't be pipped by Chelsea again uh, to this. They have to get the personal deal, uh, personal uh, agreement sorted because uh, otherwise it's going to be not just footballing, football-wise, a, a big issue, which obviously they need someone like that, but also just emotionally to lose two massive players to the same team in the space of a couple of days would be uh, really quite catastrophic. So expect Liverpool to get that done by any means necessary. And um, uh, they, uh, they, uh, they, they need to plug that hole in the middle, as you said, a huge huge uh, uh, outflux out of what's the, what's the opposite of influx outflux of players yeah, I'll go with that. we'll go with that we'll just make up words here a huge exactly. outflux of players in the in the in the midfield that romeo lavio can can go some way to to plugging do you think uh Casado for chelsea is he a key for european football so for them to get back into European places for next season, I mean, we, we you think they've got some other players. We, we, yeah, I mean, we talked about them last season, last week, uh, you know, suggesting that they they would make top four. Certainly, Kelly Summers and I felt that they would 
be pretty com not pretty comfortable, but there'd be a good shout for top four. Um, and and adding someone as as, as good as Kaiseido to an all, an already pretty decent midfield is um, is a big move. And you you would you would thought that they would um, they would be able to to challenge for top four. I mean that is the bare minimum, right? So for Chelsea now, this is now the bare minimum. You're getting top four. The the huge outlay here. That is Champions League money outlay. You have to make top four now. So there is uh, extra pressure. But the way that the squad's been assembled, the manager that they've got, uh, I think they'll be um, pretty, pretty confident about making top four. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think they need it. And I think they need to be confident. I think the the early signs, that first game against Liverpool, I think gives them a lot of confidence. I did actually say that I didn't think Chelsea would make top four. I might have to revisit that a little bit later on uh, because I thought I was impressed with how well Pochettino got his team playing together. Okay, who finishes higher, Chelsea or Liverpool? Um, are you trying to make me look silly again? Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, confidently Chelsea. I've got to stick with what I said only a week ago. I'm going to say Liverpool finishes higher than Chelsea, which is, I say that with a lot of regret and reluctance, possibly. Certainly reluctance, regret, well, only time will tell. <laughs> and I might, we might have to revisit this halfway through and go, oh, actually, no, only six months to go. No, actually, it's the other way around. Who knows? Yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. Let's go on to F FPL, right? So we've had our first, first sort of like, you know, jumping into FPL, you and I, we've both never played before. Honestly, I've worked on this, FPL, my first FPL team so much leading up to the first game of the season. I actually was stressing about it. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I think a lot of people don't play it because it becomes such a stressful thing and, and such importance that they're just like, I haven't got time for this. I can't dedicate this amount of my life to, to, to worrying about uh, FPL. But we are committed to playing it. And if we're going to do something, Mark, you're going to do it properly, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do, give it our best shot. So uh, yeah, I was relatively pleased with how my first week when I mean we are novices like I have played in the past but I've literally played one or two weeks and thought oh my goodness this is too much and I've given up which is something that I'm not going to do this uh, this season so uh, yeah I was pretty pleased I had quite a few points on the bench which is a little bit annoying I had Mbama on the bench who, who scored for for Brentford and my goalkeeper didn't give me any points but uh uh, Captain Harland, we took we took Kelly Summers' uh, advice, right? She's the FPL expert, and she said, yep. "Put Harland in your team and make him captain," uh, which he did. I also triple captained him, uh, which I'm not entirely sure how many times I'm allowed to do that per season, but I think uh, once, just once. That's it. I think so. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's only once. Oh, yes. Right. Okay. I thought we could do it a few more times. Anyway, so I triple captain. Yeah. I triple captain him, wrong, but I thought it was. I yeah. triple captain him because of his performance in the Community Shield, where he barely touched the ball and didn't score. And I thought, right, he's done nothing there. So he's, you just know he's going to come back with a bang first game of the season and score against Burnley, which obviously he did twice. So I'm pretty happy with that. It's almost like a repeat of what he did last season. Because in the community show last season, he was bang average. And then all of a sudden, he flew into the start of the season. Yeah. Look, my, I'm going to go with I was average. Um, average points for uh, FPL this weekend is 55 points. I've got 58 at the moment. To be fair, you've got 59. You're only one ahead of me. Yeah. I've um, still got Marcus Rashford to play tonight as well. So I'm, I'm confident. I, I've got Luke Shaw as well. So, okay. yeah, yeah, I think you're in a better position than I am. But so if there's, a, if there's a player you would change, you've got one sub this week. Who's a player? Have you got? Have you ever thought about it? Who you would sub already out of your team? I think I've got a sub uh, De Bruyne because um, I think he, uh, he might be injured and uh, you know, only gave me one point. So uh, uh, might bring in. I've got Mbamo. I've got, uh, I don't have too many other options. So I, I might bring him in. 
No, but you can actually bring a new player into your squad completely. So you can actually get a one free transfer, basically. What, every week? Yes. Oh, wow. You see, we are, I'm so nervous about this. <laughs> okay, right. I'm going to go and have a look now. I haven't even thought about that. I'm going to go and have a yeah. look. So I'm definitely going to get, I'm, I'm going to have to sub Ruben Diaz out. I mean, I had him in my team. Yeah. He wasn't even in the squad for Manchester City. I can't even believe that. But anyway, uh, schoolboy error. So I'm going to be definitely subbing him out. I'm not sure whether I'm going to go for another defender or a midfielder. I actually think I'm going to go midfielder. Uh, if you want to be able to um, join us and, and, and play in the league, uh, it's open, isn't it, right? So the Optusport Football Podcast League is, uh, is, is open. So you can laugh at us, you can see our teams, you can see how many points we've got, and you can compete and almost certainly uh, beat us. So uh, get involved. Absolutely. Right, after my average FPL start, I'll need to take a short break. And then once we get back, we'll be talking all about La Liga. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, yes, it's all about La Liga talk right now. Phil, you're the man. You're in Madrid. Talk us about Real Madrid. What a start to the season they've had. Away at Athletic Bilbao, that is a really tough place to go, right? So it's a tough place to go. And uh, they went there without Thibaut Courtois, who, as we uh, mentioned, uh, got injured in uh, pre-season and is a, uh, a massive, massive loss to them. They went there without Karim Benzema, which, OK, we'll still just remind everyone that they don't have the player that had been there for a decade and a half to, uh, to lead the line. And then they had uh, Edem Militao got injured as well uh, during the uh, during the game there uh, sort of best centre back so to go there and to play so well um, in a really tough place without some key key uh, members of the squad over the last couple of years uh, was very very impressive and what was extremely impressive was seeing Jude Bellingham uh, making his debut perhaps this was a good place to, for him to make his debut actually to sort of uh, uh, transition from uh, okay I don't he didn't come from England he came from Germany but to uh, transition into Spanish football because Athletic Club uh, in Bilbao, uh, the uh, atmosphere, the style might be a little bit more British uh, in terms of uh, uh, the noise, in terms of the robust uh, attitude of the of the players. So it was a good scenario, I think, for uh, and it was sort of high intensity, high pace. Let's 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 go at them. And he was sensational, particularly in the first half. Loved his performance. He's he's such a complete player. He has got everything and I spoke about uh, Alexander Isak earlier on being sort of gangly and being really skillful uh, Jude Bellingham is really uh, imposing in terms of his physical uh, appearance he's tall he's broad he's really strong he's really good on the ball and he is so skillful and we saw some incredible touches from him a couple of brilliant Messi-esque runs from him just sensational we also saw him dropping back helping out defensively, saw his touches map at the end of the game. It was everywhere. Touches all over the pitch. He, um, he was a really, really vital player and he scored as well. He scored on his debut, uh, a volley from a corner, not the cleanest connection, but, but it went in and he was, he was really happy. And Afterwards, it's quite funny. I've got a friend who works for uh, for Real Madrid TV, and he's the guy that does the post match interviews for him and for Real Madrid TV. And he said, "Yeah, I interviewed Jude, and he's so nice." I said, "Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a, he's a good guy." And he said, 
after the interview, he shook my hand. I couldn't believe it. I thought, why you did Like, no one's ever done that. No one shook my hand after a, after a, a post-match interview, but he did. And it just, just shows you he's, he's, he's a well-brung-up, nice young man. And um, it's important as well. I think in Spain, they say he's got furniture in his head. That's the, that's the expression to say that he, it's not an empty space in his head. He's, he's, he's got some brains on him. And that is important when you come to Real Madrid because the pressure here is insane. There is temptation. Uh, you are at the biggest club in the world. You are being very, very well paid. There is um, the temptation to let your ego get out of control. We've seen it with other players. There's a temptation to not necessarily work as hard as you should. That is not going to happen with Jude Bellingham. It really isn't. So yeah, um, the, overall, it was a really good performance from Real Madrid, but the standout player and, and one of the headlines in the Madrid press was uh, el jefe es Bellingham. Bellingham is the boss. And, you know, when you've done that after your uh, debut for Real Madrid and you've got that headline, you know, you've done something well. I mean, that's impressive considering the, the, the press in Spain can be absolutely brutal, <laughs> let alone in Madrid. I right? mean, if he doesn't have a good game next week, they'll be slaughtering him. Everybody knows that. But I think that's where his, you know, his, his furniture in his head will help him because he won't get carried away. He won't. He won't. And I think he's got a good team behind him, his, you know, a good family behind him. They will not let him get carried away. But it was a very good start. The other thing I heard was he's been compared to Zinedine Zidane. Is that too premature? Um, maybe it was me comparing him to Zidane. Zidane. I think I uh, listen tongue in cheek, but in terms of being sort of big, strong, and so graceful on the ball, yeah, there might be there might be elements of that. He's got a long, long way to go to be you know, one of the best midfielders of all time, and it's only been one game for Real Madrid, but it was it was a very good start. Let's move on to Real Madrid's biggest rival, Barcelona. They pulled another transfer lever recently, and they're loopholing, working to be able to sign players. They've got no money, Phil, but they're still able to move money around, somehow gain more money, somehow bring more players in. How is it even possible? So this transfer lever, the uh, Spanish word is palanca, which was the word of the summer uh, last year here in Spain. It's actually, it's not a new lever. It's a uh, payment from uh, last years summer lever one of the many levers that were pulled and it's a sort of deferred payment uh, from there and it's the installment from one of the palancas that was pulled last year uh, that wasn't going to be paid that is now being paid by a different company so they sold part of Barca Studios which is their digital operation to some people who didn't give the money that they were supposed to so uh, another company has come in and have topped up and paid the installment that, that wasn't being paid so it's not new but it's money uh, that they need that needed to come in which has come in and which has allowed them uh, most importantly first of all to register players because Barcelona went into the opening weekend of the season with only 12 players registered for uh, La Liga none of the new signings were registered uh, Gundogan, Romeo and uh, Inigo Martinez uh, players like uh, Ronald Araujo and Gavi who had had their contracts extended uh, they weren't registered either they have now been registered um, Inigo Martinez I think is the only one that hasn't been registered but he's injured which is why they haven't registered him yet and it also gives them a little bit of money uh, to manoeuvre in the transfer market, as does the sale of uh, Ousmane Dembélé to uh, Paris Saint-Germain. And there are suggestions that there are gonna, they are going to be moving uh, in the transfer market to, uh, uh, to bring in one or two players that the manager particularly wants uh, between now and the end of the transfer window because there is, there's what the manager wants and then there's what the president wants and things have to align. I think the president would be quite happy to get Neymar back that is not going to happen uh, for, a, for a number of reasons, not least because I don't think Xavi uh, wants Neymar to come back. I don't think Barcelona have 
the money to, to pay Neymar what he would want. Uh, and I think they're going to look, uh, they're going to look uh, elsewhere. But there have been headlines here in Spain about Neymar returning to Barcelona. I do not see that happening. No, it looks very, very unlikely because we're just hearing news now that he's actually having a medical as we speak in Al-Hilal Al in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. More, that sounds more crazy. viable. That sounds more viable than, than, than Barcelona, economically speaking, not football-wise. As you said, that's just crazy. He's only 31, Neymar. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't think it was ever going to happen to Barcelona. Uh, Joel Cantelo, he's also been heavily linked with Barcelona. Do you see that one happening? So he is a player that Xavi particularly wants. He is someone that he is pushing for uh, a lot. Um, they need uh, they need fullbacks and they need players, I think, like uh, Joel Cantelo, who can fit into the system and play a bit more fluidly as well, um, can play further up the pitch if, uh, if needed. And he is someone that has been highlighted by the manager as um, a really, really strong target. So I would expect that deal... To come close to happening now, whether or not it's difficult to know with Barcelona, given their financial situations, whether they have enough to get this done. But he is certainly the player that they're looking at more than anyone else. Another one that's been heavily linked is Ansu Fati. He's been talking about potentially a bid coming in from an unknown Premier League club. Is that them just trying to build up some interest? Uh, from understanding, every single player, I think you mentioned it last week, every single player at Barcelona is up for sale, right? Pretty, pretty much. have a price. Pretty much. Uh, particularly Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres. I think they're, they're two players that they'd be absolutely delighted uh, to move on. Ansu Fati didn't, Fati didn't cost them anything. So anything that they bring in uh, would, be, would be pure profit. But his, um, his market has dropped considerably over the last, the year, year and a half, he burst onto the scene, scoring goals for Barca, scoring goals for, for Spain, and then he got injured and he's not been the same since coming back. So that has uh, led to his uh, transfer value uh, diminishing considerably and there uh, not really any any tangible offers for uh, for him. And the same with Ferran Torres as well. They paid 50 plus million for him and they don't want to accept anything less than that. And I don't think anyone's coming in uh, with that kind of money for, uh, for Ferran. So at the moment, uh, Ansu Fati is, um, is, is still going to be there. It was interesting last night uh, or yesterday, they played against Getafe, their first league game, and it was nil-nil. And it was absolutely brutal against the Getafe side that uses elbows and knees and legs and, and commits fouls and they don't have the ball in play and they leave the grass as long as they possibly can and it was nil-nil and it was a battle and in that battle um, Xavi decided to bring on uh, Lamin Yamal who is 16 ahead of Ansu Fati uh, Ferran Torres even Gavi um, Ferran Torres didn't even come up didn't even warm up so maybe that gives you an idea as to where the hierarchy is there in uh, in, in Barcelona Lamin Yamal 16 year old uh, coming on uh, before Ansu Fati Absolutely crazy. And talk about crazy, Joel Felix has been linked with a potential swap uh, with Ansu Fati, maybe going to Atletico uh, Madrid. Um, is it just wild speculation? I would say so. I would say it's just wild speculation. Uh, I, I don't think Joao Felix is a player that Xavi particularly wants. I'm not sure entirely how he would fit into this uh, system. And a swap deal is unlikely. And I don't think they would swap Ansu Fati. They would look to get money for Ansu Fati. They would want to bring money in for him, swap deal for him. And Joao Felix, no, no, don't think it's happening. Do you see any, any end in it? the way that Barcelona has been run. Do you see any end in the light of the tunnel? Do you, do you see something happening to Barcelona that maybe puts them in a position where they just cannot operate? Um, I, I, no, I think they're too, they're, I think they are too big to, 
to fail, uh, but they are walking a tightrope. They have walked a tightrope for uh, for a while now, and uh, uh, pulling all these uh, financial levers has meant that they have mortgaged themselves a little bit uh, in terms of selling off parts of the business, selling off their TV rights for the next couple of decades. Part of their TV rights for the next couple of decades is is a massive, massive deal, which means that they need to be successful now. So you sell off those TV rights, you get money in now, you bring in players, you try and build a successful squad in order to get Barca back to where they are. But it's a big gamble. It's a big gamble. And if that if that doesn't pay off, then there are they are going to be in trouble. Um, they won the league last season. Good. That's that's the first step for them. They but they need to keep building, keep growing, keep winning. Otherwise, the house of cards kind of tumbles. And if that happens, then it would be it would be very bad for Barcelona. But I don't think that you know we're talking about them going then bankrupt. It would be difficult for that to happen, but not impossible. And add to the fact they've got to do it without a Camp Nou, rebuilding it, all that financial pressure as well. Crazy stuff at the moment at Barcelona. I saw a tweet you tweeted out today, and it was about the fact that you think that Mbappe doesn't want to go to Real Madrid or, or despises Real Madrid, so to speak. Um, and can you see him going to somewhere like Barcelona? Someone even mentioned no. about him potentially going to Barcelona. No, Barcelona never got money to sign Mbappe. No way. I mean, that, that would never, that, that's not, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But I put, in a, uh, put out a tongue-in-cheek tweet saying, does Kylian Mbappe maybe hate Real Madrid? Because what he's doing to them is, you know, you wouldn't do that to a club that you loved. Oh, but he had posters of Cristiano Ronaldo on his wall when he was a kid. He loves Real Madrid. Well, if he does, then come and play for them. They're desperate for him to, uh, to come and play for him they've got money to sign him just make it happen but he doesn't love Real Madrid he wants to earn all the money that his contract stipulates that he should earn with Paris Saint-Germain fine he signed that contract cool he's entitled to do that but it just feels like he's using Real Madrid time and time again to make sure that he earns as much money as possible from Paris Saint-Germain listen he might end up here at some point he's only 23 um but it just feels like another step in this saga, which has exhausted Real Madrid fans. Like emotionally, they are at their wits' end. Now, the argument for that being, well, when he comes, if he scores a few goals, all this will be forgotten. Maybe, but this has gone on for so long now, and Real Madrid and Real Madrid fans are a proud lot. They are very proud. They hold their club in very high esteem, and they expect everyone else to do so as well. And Mbappe has not. He has not. Um, and if we're hearing now that he is talking about a possible contract extension with PSG, after then saying that he wasn't going to sign a contract extension and sparking all these wild rumours again of him coming to Real Madrid, it just feels like he's you know, making a mockery of uh, Real Madrid. Certainly, I know a lot of Real Madrid fans feel that way. Do you, can you see the Real Madrid fans turning on him completely? Doing almost like what's happening with Lukaku, Juve, Inter Milan. Can you see that happening with Mbappe as well at Real Madrid? Yeah, I mean, he's, he, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, not, he's not a Real Madrid player. And, and I think at some point in the future, he, he probably will be. He probably will be because he's got so long left in his career. And this has gone on for so long that it would be ridiculous to suggest that he would never come here. But he has caused a lot of damage with the, with the fans. If, if this happens, if he signs another contract extension with Paris Saint-Germain to make sure that he just gets even more money and it means that Real Madrid have to pay to get him next summer when he could have been free, it's going to be difficult. It's always difficult for big money moves when they come to, to, to Real Madrid. There's lots of pressure. If you come here, having done all this for years... 
there's going to be a lot of fans that won't have forgotten it. One more, one more other fixture I want to talk about. Sevilla at home against Valencia. How good a start is that for Valencia this season? So, yeah, I actually wrote about this for Up to Sport in my column this week because uh, Valencia, listen, a lot of people listening to this podcast might know about Spanish football, might like Spanish football, might not have an in-depth knowledge about Spanish football, which is where, you know, we're here to try and to try and help. And you can watch all the games live on Up to Sport. Valencia, in the back of people's minds, are a massive club, right? So they won the league at the start of the century. They got to two Champions League finals. They won the UEFA Cup. This is a big sporting entity and they are a shadow of their self, former self. You look at their squad, it is the weakest squad I have ever seen Valencia have. It is just extraordinary that they're starting a season with this group of players. Uh, last season, they finished 16th. It was their joint ever worst finish in La Liga. 104 years of Valencia, that was their worst season ever, uh, basically. And they have not added to the squad. They have lost six players from the squad, big names who have gone. This is an extraordinarily young squad. It is the youngest squad in La Liga. And they started the campaign with a lot of people thinking they might go down. A lot of Valencia fans thinking, oh my goodness, this might be only the second time in our history we get relegated. And they go to Sevilla, Europa League champions, and they win. And they win by playing youngsters, as they did last season. Uh, they've got uh, three youngsters that have come through the youth academy, Diego Lopez, Fran Perez, and Javi Guerra, uh, who have been instrumental. They were instrumental in keeping them up last season. Javi Guerra came off the bench and scored the winner uh, late on against Sevilla. They're trusting the kids. They're trusting the kids to get them through. And you know, it was once said that you'll never, you'll never win anything with kids. Well, Valencia aren't trying to win anything. They're trying to avoid relegation, I think. But they're, they're, they're trusting the kids and the kids got them out of trouble again. Now, the problem is the owner, Peter Lim, Singaporean businessman, much maligned by the Valencia fan base, he might think, well, that's all right. You know, well, uh, you've got these... Um, hold on. I'm, I'm actually not going to mention Peter Lim because he's, uh, he's, he's a difficult character. So. So the problem is, maybe the owners might think, oh, well, you've got the kids and um, you, you don't, we don't need to add to this squad. So you've gone to Seville, you, you've beaten Sevilla and we don't need to add to this squad. Let the kids, let the kids um, carry on doing their great job. I think that would be a mistake. I think they are going to try and bring in some players. But it was, it was refreshing to see this young group of players, a start of a season with a lot of negativity around them and they played with freedom they played with no fear they gave it a really good go and they gave Valencia fans something to cheer and something to to get excited about thinking you know what this squad isn't great but we've got these youngsters they've come through the youth academy they're going to give it uh, all they can so let's try and get behind the team so that was a that was interesting to see I love putting you on the spot I'm going to put you on the spot again right have you just given them false hope or are Valencia going down I thought they had a chance of, uh, of going down, and I still think they have a chance of going down. Let's, can we speak at the end of the transfer window and see what they do? Because if they don't bring anyone in, then I still think you can't put this kind of pressure on the, on the young kids to, to, to get you out of uh, a hole you might be in. So let's speak at the end of the transfer window, and then I'll give you a definitive prediction. Let's move on and talk about the Women's World Cup. The FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 has been incredible and huge for Optus Sport. People leaving live AFL games that they have chosen to attend to watch the Matildas in public bars of the stadiums. Friend of the podcast, Kelly Summers, last week so eloquently said this. I arrived here and they told me this wasn't a football country. Well, you could have fooled me. The passion and the appetite that this place has shown for the beautiful game over the past almost three weeks has absolutely blown me away. And I 
come from a country that thinks we own it. So please keep going to games, keep watching from afar and do keep supporting these girls. And I don't just mean over the next couple of weeks, but also beyond, because this game is growing. And as I've seen in England since we won the Euros, something very special can happen here. Spain obviously is a football country, Phil. How have Spain embraced this tournament and how well this Spanish team has done? I have to say I've been pretty jealous watching the clips on Optusport social media of, of, of what's going on in the country at the moment in terms of the euphoria, everyone getting behind it, everyone sort of feeling that this is something special and we are all together in this. It's, it's, it's been really like nice to watch. I'm not just saying that because this is an Australian podcast, genuinely from afar watching this, you get the sense that there is something special going on in Australia. It's not the same in Spain. Um, the time difference, obviously, obviously uh, doesn't help. Um, it has not been a huge story uh, here. There has been coverage. Uh, the Spanish national team has been shown on um, terrestrial TV here. And I think there's been decent audiences, but nothing major. I think if Spain get to the, if Spain get to the final where they will obviously be playing Australia, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's what's going to happen. If Spain get to the final, I think maybe people will get behind it a little bit more, but the contrast between how you guys have been experiencing it over there and what level of mediatic coverage it's getting here and people getting behind the tournament has been has been stark i mean there is a huge topic of conversation right in the offices people are talking about it people are watching it on their lunch break people are getting so involved in here that it's it, it's not it's 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 not like that but i think i think the time difference is a is a big thing and had it been held in spain it would certainly be a bigger deal um but yeah it's um it's it, it's it's been quite different to what you guys have been experiencing there well, let's hope if Spain do make it to the final, there is a, a, a lot more support for the national team because they've been a very good team to watch during this tournament. Uh, also, a reminder that only place to watch every match of the FIFA Women's World Cup is Optus Sport. The FA Women's Super League 2 returns in October for what will be a massive campaign off the back of this World Cup. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. See you next time. Adios. Now, we'd like to keep it under an hour, see, Phil? Well done. First one, just the two of us, under an hour. <laughs> I resisted the, uh, the temptation to sing just the two of us at the start of the podcast. I was, uh... You could have. Yeah. You could have. No problems. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Hit it! Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.